How do you sing the Lord's song in a strange and foreign land? That was the question that plagued the Jewish people who were carried away into the Babylonian captivity. I remember back in the civil rights era during that struggle that Martin Luther King made this observation that America in its foundational development was considered a melting pot where people from all over the world fled various kinds of persecution to seek freedom on the shores of this country. But there was one group, and only one group, that came to this country in chains. They were the only group who did not come by their own volition. But they were forced as slave traders raided villages in Africa and ripped families apart and literally stole people, crowded them into the small ships that were used in that trade and brought them here and sold them as slaves. For those people, their coming to America was a coming to slavery. And that's something that we ought never to forget. But in the ancient world, that type of thing of stealing people from one country and deporting them and enslaving them in the conquering nation was somewhat commonplace. And after the Babylonians conquered the Jewish nation, they took the cream of the crop from the Jewish people and brought them to serve in this foreign land. And these people who had known their covenant God and had known their traditions, their histories, and the promises were now left to ask the question, how could God allow this to happen? And so it's important when we look at the books of Ezekiel and of Daniel that we understand that these books are written at a time when the people of God were in captivity. And they were struggling with the question of the presence of God. Has God abandoned us? And one of the things that it is said about the book of Ezekiel, that in large measure the book functions as a theodicy. And that word may be a new word to some of you. We can break it down to the Greek theos, which is the word for God, and the word dikaios, which is the word for righteousness or justice. And a theodicy is an attempt to justify God for certain problems that we encounter in this world. And so one of the tasks that Ezekiel had to perform was to give a theodicy, a justification for the justice of God in this dark period of Jewish history. And there's a sense in which Ezekiel was uniquely qualified for this task. We have a tendency to make a sharp distinction in the Old Testament between the priests and the prophets. And the priests were those who interceded in behalf of the people to God. They were those intermediaries who, in a sense, ministered to the people. Where the prophets were spokesmen for God, and so often their mission 
was to rebuke the people, to admonish the people, to chasten the people, and call them to repentance, which was anything but an enviable task. So you think of the prophet as somebody who is hard-boiled and stern and tough, who asks no quarter and give none, where there's a greater sense, apparently, of compassion that is associated with the priest. But the uniqueness of Ezekiel was that he was born in a priestly family. And he was destined to the priesthood. But at age 30, God interrupted his vocation as a priest and consecrated him to be a prophet. And I think we can see in his labor the mixture of the two elements, the priestly element and the prophetic element. Now, the theodicy of Ezekiel really begins in the second chapter of the book that bears his name. And he said to me, that is God, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. And then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me and he said, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. For they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words, or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I will give you. Now, here's the setting for this. The book of Ezekiel begins with an event that is described in such strange and enigmatic ways that all kinds of bizarre speculation has been associated with it. In the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, there was speculation that that what Ezekiel saw in his initial vision of the whirling Merkabah, this strange thing that was flying about in the air with wheels within wheels and all of that, that, that perhaps what Ezekiel really saw was an ancient visitation of a, a Martian spaceship or something like that. People completely miss the significance of the descriptive imagery of that event. Because what that wheel within the wheel, what that weird and bizarre manifestation was that Ezekiel saw was a visible manifestation of the chariot throne of God. You remember in the Old Testament that when the people of Israel were on the move, the ark of the Lord went before them. It was carried and people walked on foot carrying these poles that were inserted through the loops of the outer edges of the ark. Uh, 
And that signified the throne of God and God's leadership going before the people. But remember that all of the symbolism of what was going on on the earth, in the tabernacle, later in the temple, was to call attention beyond itself to the transcendent reality, to the heavenly reality of the inner chamber and inner sanctum of God, where God's glory was above the heavens and God was exalted and was the king of all of the earth. And there are times when God manifests himself in a chariot of fire. And that is his mobile throne of judgment. And this is what Ezekiel saw. He saw the outward vision of the heavenly throne of God as it whirled and moved rapidly about, came down from the heaven, filled with the glory of the presence of God. And Ezekiel said, when I saw it, I fell on my face. And it is God who speaks to him out of this vision of the judgment throne, and the message is a message of judgment. And he addresses Ezekiel with the phrase, Son of Man, which is a title, of course, that is later on given to Jesus. And the theodicy is this, that what is going on in the captivity is the providential judgment of God upon His people because of their rebellion. And now after this bad news is announced to Ezekiel, God requires something very strange of him that we read in chapter 3. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside. And written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. This already conjures up the image that we find in the New Testament apocalypse of the scroll that was sealed on all sides, that no one in heaven and earth was worthy to open until the Lamb of God prevailed to break the seals and to look upon the hidden message of the Word of God, typical of what is called apocalyptic literature. And much of Ezekiel, as well as Daniel, is cloaked in the literature of apocalypse, which is literature that is hidden in many ways, mysterious, enigmatic, and the high use of somewhat strange images. In the New Testament, the New Testament apocalypse is called the book of Revelation. And that's the kind of thing that we find here in the book of Ezekiel, where God shows him this scroll that is written on, on the inside and on the outside, and then he tells the prophet to eat it, literally, to put the scroll in his mouth. And notice what is said about the scroll. He said, on it were written lamentations and mourning and woe. So that the scroll that Ezekiel is called to eat is a scroll whose message is purely a message of doom and of judgment. 
of woe and of mourning. And so he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. And so I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. Now notice what God is saying. He said, I don't want you to just chew on my word. I want you to swallow it. I want it in your stomach. I want it to be digested so that it permeates your whole body. This is not just a casual nip at the Word of God, but He is to consume the Word of God that it becomes a part of His bloodstream. But remember that the words that He's called to eat are words of woe and mourning and of lamentation. But Ezekiel does what God commands him to do, and we read these words. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. Now you see the jarring irony of this. How could these words that were filled with such negative meaning taste to the prophet as sweet as honey? Well, I think this is what really explains the psychology of the prophet in Israel. Even though the message that the prophet was called to deliver was often dire and anything but palatable, nevertheless there was something about it that caused it to be sweet. And I think the sweetness of it can be found in that it was the Word of God. And every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, even His word of judgment, is to be sweet to the child of God. You know, in our own cultural history, probably the preacher that comes closest to being like an Old Testament prophet was Jonathan Edwards. And Edwards is noted for his gloom and doom preaching of judgment and of the wrath of God. But somebody went through the writings of Edwards and through his sermons and counted up the words, the adjectives that he used more often than any other terms in his preaching. And the number one word that appeared in terms of the frequency of usage in the corpus of Edwards was the word sweetness. And the second word was the word excellence, because he was forever speaking about the sweetness and the excellence of Christ and of his word. And so Ezekiel is obedient, and God sets him as a watchman over the people in exile. He's working in exile while Jeremiah is still prophesying in Jerusalem. And he announces the bad news that has come to pass. But the final explanation that he gives for why all of this is taking place is found in this phrase that is repeated in the book of Ezekiel, that they may know that I am the Lord. 
60 times in the book of Ezekiel. That phrase is announced by the prophet coming from God. I'm doing this that they may know I am the Lord. Reminds you of the statement in the Psalms where the psalmist writes, Be still and know that I am God. That's one of the most misunderstood passages in all of the Bible because we tend to think of, because of the old King James rendering of it, be still and know that I am God. It means like be quiet and peaceful and restful and, and contemplate the glory of God and, and have assurance that God is God. But the words be still in the Hebrew are a powerful command that could best be translated in our language, shut up, hold your mouth, stop your complaining, be quiet, and know who God is. And that's what is repeated in this book. And that's the message that Ezekiel delivers to his people. Now, throughout the book, the promise of judgment is repeated. But Ezekiel does not leave the people without hope. One of the most famous portions of his book is found in the 37th chapter, which I will look at briefly. In chapter 37, we read these words, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And then God said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? He takes him to this valley that is filled with skeletons, skeletons that have been exposed to the heat and the parched desert. And they've been exposed for so long that they've become bleached by the sun. And we're not talking about somebody who's just had a cardiac arrest who needs resuscitation. But this is an open graveyard filled with thousands and thousands of the bones of people who once lived. And God looks at this graveyard of skeletons and says to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? And what would you expect his answer to be? Of course not. And so I answered, O Lord God, you know. That's a good way to answer when God asks you a question like that. I don't know, but I'm sure you do. And so he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I want you now to start preaching to skeletons, Ezekiel, that have no ears, have no eyes, have no flesh, have no heart. But I want you to preach to them and say to them, hear the word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you. And I will cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. And so Ezekiel said, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, 
there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them, but there was still no breath in them. And he said, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them. And they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. And God said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So that the end of the book of Ezekiel comes with the glorious promise that God is not going to leave His people in exile. He looks forward to new life, new breath, a new response to His Word. The end of captivity and the regeneration of His people.